All right, hey guys, welcome to another episode of Pursuing Jesus podcast. My name is Shane Winnings, and this is episode 14, which I've titled Calvinism. What is it, and is it correct? So if you don't know what Calvinism is, I'm going to give a little insight into it and some of the main points and give my biblically-based opinion. I want to first thank you for listening. As always, you guys are the reason that we can do anything that we do. Um, you guys are amazing. All the re- all the reviews, all the ratings, all the comments, all the shares. Every time you follow or, or turn on notifications, you're telling Apple and Spotify and Anchor and Google that this is content that people want to hear. And in return, they promote this podcast. And that's why we're still in the top 50 of 92,000 podcasts in the spirituality and religion category. So I want to say thank you and invite you to partner with us a small monthly gift of $5 a month. That is a couple of cents a day if you were to add it up. And if you don't already partner with us, get involved in what we're doing. We are reaching literally tens of millions of people every single month through all of our platforms. And uh, it's only going to keep growing because social media just continues to skyrocket and this podcast is taking off. We're going to reach more and more people. So be a part of that. If you're not sewing into any ministry or you don't have a local church you're tithing at, or even if you do, if you feel led, partner with us. Small gift. You don't have to give any extraordinary amount. Um, But $5 a month from a large group of people can really add up and help us to continue in what we're doing. You know, I'm traveling close to 30 times this year, scheduled already, and it's only February. And everything we do is paid for by us. We never ask anyone to pay for our plane tickets or anything like that. If people reimburse us, that's on them. But I never want to put the burden on churches to have us speak or, you know, wherever we're going. And so your giving helps us do what we do. We are unpaid missionaries. We live off your support. And I want to say thank you to everyone who does. Make sure you follow us. Turn on notifications. That way you get updates when we post a new episode. Hey, let's talk about Calvinism. Now, I'm not an expert on Calvinism. I'm not going to pretend that I know everything about it. But I know some fundamental things that I do not agree with that I want to just dive right into. Predestination is the biggest one. Basically, Calvinism stemmed from a man named John Calvin, and one of the beliefs is predestination, that everything is the sovereign will of God, that God chooses what's going to happen. And part of that means choosing who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. And so the way they interpret the Bible is that there are the elect, those of us that have been chosen to go to heaven, and those who have not, those who have been pre-selected, predetermined, predestined to go to hell. And that is, there's, there's no scriptural evidence to back that up. In fact, everywhere I look, it points to the opposite. And before we get into that, I want to ask a question. If everything is the sovereign will of God, then what about suicide? Does that sound like 
a loving God to you? Now listen, God is not based on your opinion of love or your, you know, he's the God of the Bible. So that when I ask that, I'm hoping that you are pulling off of the God you know from the Bible, not who you think God should be. So don't, don't get that twisted up. Based on the God of the Bible, does it sound very loving that he would want anyone to kill themselves? That he would predetermine that to happen? That that's part of his will? I don't see it anywhere. In fact, my Bible says that Christ came to bring life and life more abundantly. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. We are one. I only do what the Father does. I only say what the Father is saying. Jesus never told anyone to go kill themselves. It was part of God's will. He never condoned it. He delivered people who were oppressed by demons. It says he delivered all who were oppressed by demons. That's what he did. You can't show me that it's God's will that anyone would die. So does God send people to hell? Well, how could he? Second Peter 3.9 It's God's desire that none shall perish. What does none mean? What is none? Is none none? Is none no one? Well, who's no one? Unless sovereignly, of course, he chose. No, it doesn't say that. It says God's desire is that none shall perish. It actually says that he's long-suffering. He's patient, even when he doesn't have to be, because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want your soul to die. So if he doesn't want anyone to perish, then how could he possibly choose some to perish? Calvinism right there dies, in my opinion, at 2 Peter 3, 9. But we don't even need to go that far. And you know what? That's just the words of one of the disciples. Now, granted, the Bible is the word of God. It's flawless. It's perfect. I believe that. Every single word is inspired by God himself. But let's look at the words of Jesus Christ. John 3.16 For God so loved the... What? The world. Let's pause. Who's the world? Is Jesus just speaking to the people who are on the earth at that point? Because if that's true, then every single person who died after this was spoken, those are it. Every person after that, well, they're not part of the world anymore. So all of us are, we're hosed. I don't think that's what world means. I think the world means the whole world, like all of existence. Okay, let's keep going. So for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, okay? That whoever believes in him, so who, let's pause again. Whoever believes in Jesus. Okay, who is whoever? I mean, who is it? Whoever, it sounds like, you know, whoever, like anyone. So God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever, so anyone who believes in him, will never perish, but have eternal life. Well, how could Jesus possibly say that God loves us so much, that's why Jesus is there, and if we believe in him, we're never going to die, unless, of course, God sovereignly predestined some people to perish. 
doesn't say that. It doesn't make any sense at all. John 3, 17. The, ne- the very next verse. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now the world, there's that word again. Is it a predestined, pre-selected, elite, elect world? It doesn't say that. It just says the world. God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. Now here's the thing. Paul's writing in Romans, and he's talking about sin coming into the world through one man. Well, we we all believe that since that day we're all born into sin, so it wasn't a predetermined or pre-selected group of people. It was the whole world. We were born into sin. But he also says that through another man, one man, a better Adam, talking about Jesus here, sin was removed and we received righteousness to those who believe in him. So it seems like Paul has this thing pretty crystal clear, the same way that Jesus preached, that sin entered the world. There's that term again, the whole world. Sin entered the world from one man. Jesus came and reversed that by becoming a curse, becoming sin for us. And now we have the ability to become children of God to those who believe in his name. No other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Unless, of course, God has chosen you to not be saved. That would be the Calvinist Bible. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. There's nowhere in the Bible that backs that God chooses who goes to hell. If that's the truth, then why would Jesus even preach in Matthew 7 talking about the narrow gate and the wide road of destruction? He should have just said, hey, some of you guys are predestined to be on the wide road and some of you, a few elect, elite group of you, are predestined to be on the narrow path that leads to the narrow gate. And it's God's will. So don't worry about it. God's going to get his will. He doesn't say that. You workers of iniquity, you workers of lawlessness, that's who Jesus is going to say, depart from me, to. He's not going to say, depart from me, you who were predestined before the foundation of the world to go to hell. And why would he do that? What kind of loving God? Imagine this. God is a much better father than you or I. We can agree. He's perfect. And the Bible says that even even bad people know how to give good gifts. I don't think that I'm a, a bad person in relation to that story in the Bible. But let's just say that I... I'm a loving person. I am. I love people and I love my son. Compared to God, I don't love at all in my own flesh. Only Christ in me is good. But for this example, let's say that Shane in the flesh still knows to, that I have a responsibility to take care of my kid. And if I were to have another kid, which I hope to have several more, would I ever predetermined that some of them should burn in hell for all of eternity? 
No, that's horrible. And listen, I'm a human. We're talking about God who is love and is perfect. If I, being a human in my flesh, would not send someone to hell, then how could a loving God who went as far to save us from hell as to send his only son to die a brutal, humiliating, excruciatingly painful death, but then still decide that some people weren't going to be covered by the blood of that sacrifice? Doesn't make sense, guys. And what's wrong with Calvinism is that this ideology of predestination bleeds over into other areas, specifically in regards to faith and prayer and healing. Because if everything will be, will be, and everything is God's will, then, you know, when we pray, we're just wondering if it's God's will. And when you say, God, if it's your will, you already prove that you don't know what his will is. And you might say, well, I'd be arrogant to say, you know, God's will, Shane. You know, none of us know that. Well, actually, that's not true. Now, do I know God's perfect will for every exact scenario of my life? Of course I don't. I'm not God. But the Bible says that we are supposed to know and prove the perfect will of God. You can go look it up. That's a real Bible verse. Our lives should prove the will of God. Now, what does that mean? Do I know if it's God's will if I move to another state at some point in my life? No, I don't know that. That's not what I'm talking about. You can't find that in the Bible. I'm talking about God's character and his nature. Is it God's will to heal people? Yes. How do I know that? Look at the life of Jesus. We already covered that. If you haven't heard it, I think it's episode 11. Is it always God's will to heal? I said yes. Go listen. Why? There are certain characteristics and natures of God that we as Christians should understand. Because if we don't understand God's will, then let your yes be yes and no be no is not going to be a thing for us because we are going to be serving a maybe so God. Well, is it his will? Is it not? I don't know. Let's just pray and find out what happens. The Bible says, let your yes be yes, no be no. Anything else is from the evil one. And the Bible says that don't ask anything not in faith because that person is double-minded. They're good for nothing. They're not going to receive anything in prayer. And so if I'm praying and I'm saying, God, if it's your will, I don't know if it is or not, but if it is, you know, heal this person. I just revealed I don't know or believe it is God's will. It's up to him. How could you possibly have faith in something you're not sure about? Simply praying a prayer doesn't mean that you're in faith. Faith is saying, Lord, I'm looking at a person who has a broken arm, but I believe that I serve a God who can do the impossible. And so I'm saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command these bones to be straightened out, this arm to be healed right now in Jesus' name. has nothing to do with me. has nothing to do with the words of my prayer. I have the great privilege of stepping out in faith, leaning on my Father to do the works. Even Jesus said, it's not me who does the works. Jesus says, I don't do anything of my own authority. I do it all. It's the Father who dwells in me who does the works. And so when we go out in faith, it's not name and claim it. It's leaning on the character and the nature of God walking in the authority that he told us to walk in. It's not arrogant. It's not prideful. 
it's understanding your relationship to God. You are a son or a daughter if you're born again. And Jesus is your brother, but he's also your savior. It's a really cool dynamic. But listen to this. Jesus taught his disciples about faith. Now, why would he do that if everything's predetermined? Why would Jesus, listen to this, I've talked about this before, but Jesus cursed a fig tree and the disciples freaked out and they were like, Lord, that fig tree, it withered. And Jesus said, why are you guys marveling at that? Listen, if you have faith, you can tell that mountain be thrown into the sea and it will happen. If you do not doubt, anything is possible with God. Now he's referring, they, they're talking about a tree, a literal tree, a plant that was cursed. And Jesus doesn't give them some metaphor. He's like, you think a tree is cool? You guys can tell a mountain to move and it will if you have faith. You believe Jesus could have told a mountain to move? Could Jesus move Mount Everest? Yes, he could. That's exactly what he said. And he said, you guys will do it too if you believe nothing's impossible for God. Now, let me ask you this. Why would Jesus tell us that our faith can move a mountain if it actually can't? Or if we don't have the ability to move the mountain because it may or may not be the sovereign will of God? Why would Jesus teach us to have faith about anything? Because, listen, if everything's the sovereign will of God, then whatever will be, will be. And we're actually, when we're praying, we're just hoping that we're hitting the lottery in the window of God with his timing. But I don't see anything about that in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible did Jesus say it's not God's timing yet for you to be healed or for this miracle to happen or for this or whatever. We don't see it. And this is the, the big argument in the Calvinist world in regards to healing is that it's, it's not up to us. Our faith doesn't really matter. We don't actually do anything. Faith is a gift from God. I mean, that's not what Ephesians says. Ephesians says that we're saved by grace through faith. And that salvation is a supernatural gift from God that we don't earn through works. It doesn't say faith is a gift from God. Now, there is gifts of faith. And that's talked about in the New Testament. I believe there. I believe the Bible. The Bible says there's gifts of faith. And I have seen in my own life and, and lives of my friends, there are times when, you know, it, it takes faith to walk in this belief that we have. It takes faith to go out and pray for the sick. It takes faith to preach the gospel in the face of persecution or whatever. But I have seen times where a gift of faith was deposited for a specific situation that otherwise would have been incredibly challenging. I believe that there are times that you are facing something so insanely huge and God gives you a gift of faith where even strong believers say, man, I don't know how this is going to work out. It's going to have to be God. And you're just like, it's going to work. God's going to do it. Because you're just filled with this gift of faith. Now, these might be people that you go out and you pray, pray for and heal the sick with and cast out demons. And you guys walk in faith usually. Like it's normal for you to walk in faith. But then you're facing this overwhelmingly giant obstacle and you get hit with the gift of faith. You know, take my wife's uh, birth, for example, of our son. 
you know, we're walking in faith every day, just being unpaid missionaries and leaving our six-figure job to come do this, which has been amazing. But when the enemy was attacking us and when she got thrown into a seizure during the pregnancy and we said, hey, this was a demonic attack, we're going to keep going. We're going to have this baby at home. Nothing's changed for us. I, one of my best friends told me later, dude, I was going to come reach out to you and tell you I don't think this is a good idea. But the Holy Spirit told him to be quiet. Why? Because Jessica and I were hit with a gift of faith that was much stronger than the faith that we normally walk in. We had this resolve about us. We had this belief that God, man, either we're crazy and we're going to die. You know, my wife was told she's going to die during pregnancy, during the labor. So either we're crazy and she's going to die, or we're just really in faith and we trust you. And we just went in faith. But a gift of faith came over us that other people did not see. So that's, that's the difference. The reason I said all of that is because I do believe there are times that God gives us faith. Because our heart is already inclined to trust in him. And so he comes with this faith that helps us walk it out. But... Jesus was not talking about that. He was just saying, guys, if you believe, nothing's going to be impossible with God. He's just teaching them to walk in faith. And if we can't, then why would Jesus say any of these things? Like, it would be so sick and twisted of him. He'd be setting us up for failure if he told us, man, if you guys don't doubt, you can do anything. And we go out there, but it's not actually God's will. And so Jesus knows we're going to fail because what we're doing is not in God's will even though it seems like it's in his will, because that's what the word says, and that's his character. But there's this secret sovereign will that we're not aware of. And so when we're praying, we're actually just stabbing in the dark, hoping we hit something. It doesn't make sense. Listen, if we can't change anything with faith, then why did he give us a sword? Why would he give us anything? If everything's the will of God and it will be and it it just doesn't matter what we do, then why do we do anything? I mean, why put on spiritual armor? It's all going to work out anyways. God's going to do it. No. He's called us to partner with him. He didn't have to. He's God. He's the Lord. But he's called us to co-labor with the Holy Spirit and believe on his word. That's the great privilege that we have, and I hope that that's what you catch from this as we begin to close here. We have the great privilege of walking out in faith what Christ has told us to do, and it's not by our own works, and it's not by our own accord. It is by fully leaning on Him. True faith in God is putting all of your eggs in that basket and saying, Lord, I don't have a plan B. I believe this is your will, and I'm going to go see it. I was talking with a buddy yesterday, and he was talking about uh, Smith Wigglesworth, who said, if God doesn't move, then I'll move God. And that's, that's pretty offensive to most people. But if you think about it, we, we, we were talking about this specific example. A woman comes to a prayer meeting in a wheelchair, and she needs to be healed. And she's not getting healed, you know, by whoever, praying for her at the meeting or just by being there alone, even though God's presence is there. And so you do what Elijah did. Elijah basically had a face-off with this false god. 
and with these false prophets. And he said, we'll see whose God is real. You guys do this. I'm going to do that. And we're going to see. Some people would have rebuked Elijah and said that he was putting the Lord to the test. Listen, when you step out in faith, that is not testing God. When you step out in faith, this is what Elijah did. He didn't say, God, if you're real, show yourself to these people. He's not, he's not testing God. He's pulling on his equity. He's pulling on his history. He's pulling on his relationship with God. And he's saying, I know my God. And I know that your God is dead and fake, doesn't hear you. It can't speak. It can't move in power. Your God has nothing. And so here's what we're going to do. You're going to do all of this stuff trying to get your God to bring fire down, and it's not going to work. And then I'm going to show you my God because I know him, and he's faithful, and he is real, and you will serve him because I'm going to present an offering to him, and I know that God is going to come down, and he's going to lick up this whole altar. This whole altar, this whole offering. Elijah didn't do that saying, Oh God, I I hope that you do this. I wonder if you're there. He walked in faith. He leaned on his relationship and who God is. That's what walking in faith is. It's leaning on God and saying, God, we have history together. I've read your word I'm learning about who you are. I believe this is who you are. And when I go out to pray for someone or when I go out to do whatever, I'm leaning on who you are. I'm walking in faith. It's not a guessing game. So, does God send people to hell? No, he does not. What God did send was his son to earth to die for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins, that we would not inherit the penalty of that sin, which is eternal separation from God and hell, but eternal life. And so if you reject God, you inherit the wrath that has already come upon you. God doesn't send you there. You were born heading there. God sent his son so that you didn't have to, and so that you could have a brand new life. People send themselves to hell. There's nowhere in the Bible that says people are predestined to go to hell. You know what was predestined? We were predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus. That's pretty cool. How about this? Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren or brothers. And the Bible says that Jesus is our brother. He's also our Lord and Savior, which is so cool, but he's our brother. And Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. What else was predestined? It was predestined for Jesus to die for our sins before the foundation of the world. What else was predestined? It was predestined that Satan would be destroyed at the end of the age. And that all of those who trust in the Lord would be caught up with him and spend everlasting life with him. You see, if you really look in the Bible, predestination is always about salvation from evil, not damnation unto it. Predestination is always for the benefit and the good of God and those who serve him. How could God say, I'm working all things together for your good, if he knew that he had predestined you to go to hell? It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't work. And so that is why I believe Calvinism, it's not biblical. Now, are there some biblical principles within the rest of the views of Calvinists? Sure. Maybe. I don't really know what they are. But those are the main ones for me. And that is not the God that I serve. So I hope this helps. 
maybe you understand a little bit more and you understand that, man, God has given us the great privilege of taking him at his word and walking in faith. And there's so many stories in the Bible where God was moved by the faith of people. So it begs the question, if they had not gone in faith, would he have been moved? I would think not. Why would they even mention it? Why would Jesus be moved with compassion? Can we move God's heart? It seems like we can. So it seems like... I, I want to give this example before we wrap up. Foreknowledge is not predestination. So just because God knows everything doesn't mean that he chose it to happen. Take this for example. If you work at Subway, you know that someone is going to come in and they're going to make a sandwich and they're going to put ingredients on it. All the ingredients are front of you are in front of you. Now, if you had the most incredible brain in the whole world, you could understand and comprehend every possible outcome of a sandwich that they could possibly make. Like you you could know every possible scenario, every type of sandwich with every condiment that they could want or not want. You could understand that. But they still have the right to choose because you've given them that right. Now, if you make this a much bigger thing, imagine it's a subway with nearly unlimited ingredients, but you still have the ability to grasp and understand every possible outcome because you're God. That's God. He has foreknowledge of everything, of everything that we're going to do, of, and, and he's outside of time, so it's already happened. But he doesn't predestine it. He just knows about it. And it seems like in the Bible, even knowing this stuff, when people come to him in faith and in humility, it can change things. So don't stop trusting in God. Don't stop running after him. Don't stop ministering to him and to his heart. And keep putting your petitions before the Lord. Keep presenting your requests before the Lord. Keep stepping out in faith. It does matter. Hey, I want to encourage you, share this. If this helped you understand anything, if it spoke to you, if it encouraged you in any way, if it enlightened you, give it a share. Send it to someone. It's a short episode. Bless them with it. Give it a like if you haven't already. Rate our podcast. Give us a review on Apple. It really makes a difference. When people are looking into new podcasts, a lot of times they go check the reviews. So give us a review if you would. Hey, I wrote a book. It's called I Will Always Overcome. It is a nine-week devotional that's designed to take you from fear to faith. It's only 10 bucks on Amazon. I Will Always Overcome. You should check it out. It's got a lot of good reviews. Read the reviews. They speak for themselves. If you're interested in Bible college, check out Faith International University. That's faithiu.edu. Incredible accredited Bible school. They have bachelor's, master's, PhD programs. But the best part is that you go to school at your own pace. Go to class when you want. Get your homework done by the end of the week. It's incredible, especially for those of us who are real busy. Hey, we have a massive historic gathering on September 3rd in Frisco, Texas. One Voice Student Missions with the Jesus Clubs, Lou Engel in Upper Room. I'm calling on 50,000 people to come. 50,000. That's just 1,000 per state. 
I'm calling on youth and parents to come represent your state in a historic gathering where we believe and petition in the heavens for God and prayer to be put back in schools. 60 years ago, the courts took it out. It's time to put it back in. If you want more info, you can follow me on my social media at Shane.Winnings on Instagram and TikTok. You can search my YouTube at Shane Winnings, but just know they're starting to censor my account recently because I posted a video saying a man is not a woman because a high school boy won homecoming queen. And I said, I don't think that's right. A man is not a woman. That's science. And they gave me a strike on my account and I can't post for a week. So with that in mind, make sure that you follow this podcast because this might soon be my only means of talking to you. And even that one day could be censored. You can keep up with me at shanewinnings.com. I have my schedule on there, my calendar. You can see where I'm going to be, when I'm going to be there. Maybe we can meet up. Say hi if you see me out in public. Let me pray for healing really quick before we end this episode. If you have a pain or a sickness in your body, I want you to just hold both of your hands out like you're going to receive a gift. And I'm going to pray for you right now. I believe that God will touch your body. Father, I thank you. I thank you in Jesus' name that you love us and that you sent Jesus to pay the price for our sin, but also to give strength to our mortal bodies, like you said in Romans 8. And I believe you paid the price for this healing, and so right now in the name of Jesus Christ, I command every body to be healed. Every bit of pain, every limitation, every sickness, every disorder, leave now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next time.